Welcome back to Prince of the Pod. This is your host, Sam Prince. And today for this episode, we have a very special guest, Noah Eagle. And Noah, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? <laughs> well, who am I, Jay-Z? You want me to say I'm Hove, H to the O-V? No, I am, uh, I'm the broadcaster for the LA Clippers, among other things, Tennis Channel and Sirius XM. Um, a former West Essex student, uh, go Knights. I'm a, I'm a Wessex alum, went to Syracuse University as well. And, um, you know, I'm a fun guy, like like Kawhi Leonard. I'm a fun guy. I like to have fun and, and make people smile and laugh. So that's that's me. I don't so, know. I mean, am I doing like a verbal Tinder profile for you, Sam? I, I think that's perfect. It's what a lot of people don't know about me and Noah. We actually, Noah went to the same high school as I go to. We, I currently am a junior at West Essex High School and Noah graduated yes. from there. That's and Noah, right. what, so let's, let's first question I'm going to ask you, what, was the, what, what made you fall in love with sports at such a young age? Well, I would say it didn't hurt to have a dad who was very involved in sports. And for me, I would say it happened like anybody else organically. Just being around it and seeing it and seeing the joy that it gave so many people, I was intoxicated by that as everybody else is. And then when you follow a sport and you really get into it, it's hard not to almost dive into the deep end of it, especially when you fall in love with one sport in particular. And that's always been basketball for me. I was infatuated with basketball from a very young age. My dad's been the broadcaster for the Nets my entire life. And so early through basically my sophomore up until my sophomore year at West Essex in high school, the Nets were in New Jersey. And so being from New Jersey, it was perfect. It was easy. It was our own team. We didn't really have very many. It was the Nets and the Devils. And if you want to count like the Red Bulls at one point, but for the most part, it was the Nets and the Devils and really the Nets because early in my life, they were very, very good. And they're getting the NBA finals back to back years. And, I was around that because my dad was around it. And so I fell in love with it early and I didn't really look back from there. It, it's not that that was my only interest, but certainly early in my life, it was, it was a top of my priority list. I always needed to know all the names, all the guys, all the stats that I could think of, whether I was three, four years old, didn't matter. I just loved being around it. So you mentioned that you memorized the stats from three to four years old. What were some tricks that you learned across the <laughs> the way to memorize stats of every single player, not just a star, but the last guy on the team. I think part of it was being around a lot. And, and my dad always had just stacks of media guides, which barely even exist anymore. Media guides all exist online now. But at the time, there were these thick books, booklets with a spiral casing, and you could flip through it. And even if I couldn't quite read or as I was learning to read, I picked up certain things about certain players and then my dad would maybe tell me something or I'd be watching a game on TV and I'd hear something and it would just store my memory. For some reason, I always had a, a really good memory. I just remember these random moments and random facts and um, people think I'm weird because of it. I don't know. I like it. I like having a good memory and being able to remember. It's, it's a blessing and a curse because if someone says one wrong thing, I'm going to remember that forever as well. Uh, but it, it definitely played a factor in ingesting and keeping that information about certain players and certain teams over years and periods of time. And so, yeah, I started early and I just haven't really looked back from there. I personally the same thing. I memorize a lot of things, random facts. I know yeah. random facts about different states, different sports teams. A lot of people call me crazy, but hopefully it comes in handy in the future. It will. It will. Stay the course. It will. In high school or just in middle school, did you ever do play-by-play -play of games, of local games or anything? No, I didn't do anything really until I got to Syracuse. So West Essex had just began trying to maybe formulate some sort of department for that stuff. But I think I did maybe one time sideline reporting my senior year for a football game. But Outside of that, I, I, I did nothing until I got to college. And I, I honestly preferred it that way. It allowed me to go into school. And again, sure, I had been around a broadcast my whole life. I had seen behind the curtain how the sausage is made. But I didn't really have that tangible experience. And so I hadn't formed any bad habits yet. I got there as a clean, blank canvas and used my paintbrush to fill in the colors. And 
I feel like it, it went well for me, but it's not the, the really cool thing about the broadcasting industry, whether it's sports, news, entertainment, whatever you're doing, there's no one path to success. Everybody's path is completely different. Everybody takes their own maze to get to their eventual destination. And so for me, it worked that way. But I know plenty of kids that did a ton of stuff in middle school or high school, and they came in with all this experience in Syracuse, and they've been very successful. So there's no true answer. I just felt for me, it worked out the way it was supposed to. And uh, I am where I am now, and hopefully we'll continue to move the needle forward. And why Syracuse and all the great broadcasting schools out there? Was it the location, new house, or you just fell in love with the color orange? <laughs> I would say, Sam, it's funny because when I was in high school, more so, people just assumed I would always go there. I think the assumption was always, okay, when, when you go to Syracuse, I heard that a lot. When, oh, when, you, when you're at Syracuse, because people knew that this was something I was interested in broadcasting long term and maybe making this into my life and my career. And Syracuse has widely known as having potentially the best program in the country to do that. They've churned out more broadcasters, especially in the sports world, than anywhere else. And it's really not even very close to if you just look at the level in which the broadcasters that leave Syracuse have gotten to. So most people, I think, saw that and said, oh, well, he's just going to go there. He's going to follow in his parents' footsteps because both my parents went there. It's actually where they met. And so when I was really starting a look at schools my junior year of high school, the first place I visited was Syracuse. And I remember we did the visit, did the tour around the campus. And as I was in the car, the passenger seat, my mom was driving away to go back home. It's only about a three and a half hour drive for those who aren't aware from North Jersey to Syracuse. And so about 15 minutes in, she looked at me and said, well, what did you think? And I said, I don't think I can go here. She said, okay, you don't have to go here. So I said, yeah, I think I, I'd like to look around a little bit more. She said, perfect. Well, that's what we're going to do. And that was what was cool. My parents have always been incredibly supportive of no matter what I wanted to do, what my sister wanted to do. Maybe not as much about our dog. I don't know if they support his dreams quite to the same level, but they, the same rules applied for the college selection process. They, they were all in on whatever was going to make me and my sister happy, whether that was at Syracuse or somewhere else, they kept saying, look, it's, it's your four years. You only get four years there. It goes by in a blink of an eye. So you need to be happy and you need to be comfortable for the rest of your life. When someone says, where'd you go to college? You need to be comfortable saying I went to blank. And so that was always in the back of my mind. I went and visited Maryland. I visited uh, Miami. I visited USC and UCLA. So all over the country. And after visiting all those other ones, I went back to Syracuse just before the start of my senior year of high school. It was the first day of classes that year at Cuse. So the last week of August to really put the timing in perspective. It was a beautiful day in central New York. And I saw the students out and about and you could see them interacting and you could see them getting ready for classes and using the equipment and using the studios. And after seeing all of that and comparing it to what the other schools had to offer I said, I can't pass up this opportunity. And so same deal. My mom and I are driving away. And she looked at me about 15 minutes in and said, what'd you think? And I said, I think I'm going to apply early decision. And I did. And I didn't look back. So while at Syracuse, did you have an opportunity to call any basketball games or any other sporting events? Yeah. So at Syracuse, it's a little bit different than maybe some of the other programs, just based on the sheer numbers that you're going to get. There's so many kids that, that go to Syracuse with the goal of, I want to be a broadcaster. And so you have to accommodate that. And the system is built to do that. And so what ends up happening there is there's a hierarchy based on whichever medium you're going to. There are two radio stations. One is in, entirely student run. That's called Z89. The other one is a professional NPR station, which the sports department is run by students. And that's where all the big names have come out of. It's called WAER. And you name somebody big who has come out of Syracuse, Marty Glickman started it all, but Barb Albert and Bob Costas and Mike Tirico and go down that whole list. They all worked at WAER. And back in the day, like when my dad was there, you could only choose one or the other. You weren't allowed to work at both. 
Now you can work at as whatever, as much as you want. And so when I was there, there were those two radio stations, there was a student run TV station. And then by my junior year, there was the ACC network that came on the campus. And that's what makes Syracuse that program so great. It's all that stuff outside of class that is available to you. So with that hierarchy, the student run radio station, that's the quickest path to getting on the air. And still it takes almost a full year just to get on the air at that station. And so I worked hard there. And my first few years, I, I solely just worked on the two radio stations and said, I'm going to put myself in a really good position at these two places. And then I'm going to go over to the TV station and see if I can leave my mark there. Different. I chose that path. Other people decide to go, you know what, I'm going to go all in on the TV and maybe I'll join in on the radio stuff later. But the hierarchy at WAER is such that if you don't start quick and you don't start early and you don't stay with it, you'll get kind of left behind. And I think uh, that was in the back of my mind because my dad felt that he made that mistake where he, he went to Z89 at the time freshman year and then realized the start of his sophomore year, ah, I got to go to this station. And so that's what he did. He told me, don't, don't make that same mistake if you're serious about this. So I didn't. And I made sure I was all in at WAER and ended up by the time I was a senior being the sports director there, which was an incredible experience. And so with all those experiences to answer your question in a long winded way, yes, I got to call a variety of events and a variety of sports and a variety of subjects. It just was a wait your turn type of deal. So the first thing I ever got to call was high school football in the area. That's on Z89. The second thing I got to call was women's basketball, also on Z89, then women's lacrosse on Z89, then men's lacrosse on WAER, then men's football, on WAER and men's basketball on WAER. But then on ACC Network, I got to do things like men's or women's soccer, field hockey, tennis. So all of that is part of not necessarily the curriculum, but the program that you sign up for at Syracuse. And if you're patient, you, you do get some really, not just a number of reps, but high quality reps, which I think is as important as anything else. So while at Syracuse, was there a game that you called for maybe basketball or tennis or lacrosse that really sticks out to you? Yeah, I'd say there are a couple. Uh, the first one that happened, I guess you remember your firsts of each. And so I remember the first time I did a game on WAER in particular was Syracuse at Hobart lacrosse and Syracuse got a win. I think it was 13-8. And so it was an easy drive. It's about an hour away from the Syracuse campus. And it was just, it was just cool because you felt like you really accomplished something because all the work that goes in to get that to that point at WAER is legit. So that was always, that's always going to stick there. But the, the first basketball game that really sticks out is the one that I got to do with my dad. And that was in Miami, my junior year at Syracuse. And it just kind of happened. And we thought it was going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity. Turns out a few years later, we've gotten the chance to do it again. But at that time, we, were, we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And it was. It was awesome. And so we didn't call the game together or anything. We were doing it for different outlets. But I got to interview them, and we had these fun little segments. And so that was one that I'll never forget that whole weekend over in Coral Gables in Miami. And then my senior year, I'll give you a couple, one basketball game and two football games. The basketball game is an obvious one, Syracuse at Duke, when Duke was Zion and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish was the number one team in the country, and Cuse unranked came in and beat them at Cameron Indoor Stadium. And it was just, it was just different. The environment was different. It was awesome. It went to overtime. I got to call the overtime period, and I'll just never forget it because it was so unexpected and so just incredible altogether for – really waiting somebody who, as I mentioned, loved basketball and was waiting for a signature moment of getting a call, like a signature game for Syracuse basketball, a team I grew up really rooting for. And I also grew up rooting for Duke before those two became in the same conference because they, one was in the ACC, one was in the Big East, and Syracuse growing up in the Big East, I always loved them, obviously. With my parents going there and Duke, I was just, I always respected what Coach K did year in and year out. And so, uh, the fact that I got to do the game with those two. And by the way, once Duke joined the ACC, I kind of threw him aside and was like, all right, they, I'm running, I'm rolling with my boys and cues. But um, that one, I'll never forget just all the moments that went into it and the planning and everything like that. So that was cool. Football wise, the one goal that I had going to cues, entering my freshman year, I remember my roommate and I were talking about it freshman year was we just want to get a bowl game before we graduate. And 
it, it, most of the time you might be saying, oh, that's not that big a deal. Like it, most programs, are, but for Syracuse, it is a big deal. I don't get to bowl games very often. And so my senior year, we not only got to a bowl game, but we ended up winning 10 games, which was remarkable. We were a top 15 team in the country. It was just what a season it was. But the game that clinched bowl eligibility is one that stands out to me. I was actually just looking up the box score from it the other day. Syracuse NC State in the Dome. NC State had a number of NFL players on their roster, including somebody who's been going off recently for the Patriots, Jacoby Myers. He was on that team. Ryan Finley, who may or may not be on a roster right now, he was like a fifth-year quarterback, and you could just feel the pocket presence that he brought. And then for Syracuse, they had a number of NFL guys on their their roster as well, including an All-American safety who will be a a top two-round pick this year, Andre Sisco. Um, he'll be either a first or a second rounder. So we had a ton of talent. They had a ton of talent and it was a shootout of a game. I think the final was around like 51, 41, and it was our sixth win of the year. And so to be there calling that game in which we clinched bowl eligibility, which was a, a goal of mine to be able to call a bowl game was awesome. And then the bowl game would be the third one that I'll mention camping world bowl in Orlando. We played West Virginia and we just took it to them down the stretch of that game. And, we end up winning the Camping World Bowl. We go on the field after to film all of our post-game stuff with confetti all over the field, and the players are still celebrating. So those are the ones that will definitely stick out. The Duke, uh, the NC State, the, the Camping World Bowl, and then the original one, Syracuse, Miami, with my dad. So I'm personally a Syracuse fan. My mom went to Syracuse, so my pa- I just you know my mom went there. I was like, okay, and my brother – likes them so i was like okay why don't i choose them and i remember watching that duke game when syracuse won i believe was that the game when when they won and just won an overtime or was a buzzer beater that they won so it was overtime what happened was there was a buzzer beater at the end of the first half elijah hughes hit from like 75 feet away from the basket which was just ridiculous and once that happened the kid i was doing the game with his name is drew carter who's going to be another a superstar in this industry, Drew and I looked at each other like, oh, oh, this is going to happen. <laughs> because only the only time you make a shot like that is when it's your night. And it clearly was Syracuse's night. I, I just remember when they won that game, I was like, oh, my gosh, they just beat Duke. Oh, my God, they just beat Duke. I was going crazy. My brother was going crazy. I don't know if he'll admit that. But, yeah. I mean, it was just a, it was a wild night. I remember going to school the next day with all Syracuse gear, and everyone was like, "Oh, all the do fans like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I, I don't want to talk about it. I, 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 yeah, you want? I don't want to talk about it. We'll, we'll see who went, who wins the national championship. Well, they didn't win it either, so they can't really talk. All right. So, you said when you got to do a game with your dad, but what was that like? A father's son. You briefly mentioned that. Like, what's that like for your family? Like. Yeah, it was awesome. It was just because, uh, Sam, as I mentioned, I thought at the time we thought, well, this might never happen again. And so we cherished every moment of that entire weekend. My mom actually flew in with my dad. She had planned on doing that anyway. But especially now that I was doing the game, she said, I'm going because I hadn't seen her in a while either. So we planned that. My grandparents live in that vicinity. So they drove and came to the game. And it was just really cool. It was just surreal that it was happening. And um, I felt like everything I had worked to till that point, it was almost some sort of validation for it of, yeah, I've watched this guy do it at a high level my entire life. And now he gets to share the, or I get to share, we get to share together this moment of we're doing it. Yeah, we, we got there. We, we've made it. And obviously I wasn't close to making it or anything yet, but in that moment I felt like I had enough to validate everything that I'd been doing. And it just made me want to work even harder to get more and more of those opportunities. And so it was a combination of things. I think it was just surreal in the moment, but at the same time it was motivating of saying, okay, I'm not done. This is just the start. This is the beginning of cool moments to happen in the future. I wanted to feel that feeling again and so it, it makes me continue to work to see if I can get more and more of those throughout my career so you said you got to travel with the team you traveled some games did you travel all the games had that how did you go to the away game or just whenever they needed you to 
call the game. As, as is at Syracuse, you're saying? Yes. Okay, so at Syracuse, the deal was you really don't travel all that much until you're an upperclassman because of that hierarchy. And so by the time we were upperclassmen and me being the sports director at WAER, I, I was the one who determined the schedule. And so we trade off. Not everybody, it's not like one person is doing every game. You're getting a handful of games for football, a handful of games for basketball, a handful of games for lacrosse because you got to spread the sugar. And for us, we had, I want to say, maybe eight or nine seniors. And then we had a handful of juniors when I was a senior who we felt were good enough and deserved the reps based on the, the work they'd put in prior. And so we had to be equal with it. And that was, I felt my job as the sports director and what I thought we did really well as a class was we were collaborative. So all of my fellow class of 2019ers, if you will, I thought we did a good job of making sure that everybody was getting based on the work that they put in, based on the time that they had put in and based on the level that they were at getting the right amount of opportunity. And so when we were traveling, I was in charge of booking that. I was in charge of finding, it's hard because it's an NPR station, it's a public radio station. So the funds come from donations and that's how the, the, the staff salaries are paid and that's how our stuff is all paid for. And so I have to find cheapest possible flight, whether it was at four in the morning, connecting through Timbuktu back all the way to Atlanta, like it was, didn't matter. If it was cheap, we were taking it. Cheapest hotel, so in Durham, we stayed at a Red Roof Inn, and I, I'm not sure what was going on in that room, but I, I did not feel the same when I left. Um, that was the type of stuff that we did, but I, I felt like it was all part of the experience and getting that college radio station experience. I, there, there are so many memories that came from all those trips that I did go on. And like I said, it was only a handful through the sports, but all those trips I did get to go on there were so many experiences and so many memories that came from them and doing it together with the rest of my classmates. I didn't care where we were, what we were doing. It was just, it was so cool to be able to do that stuff and still go back to class and do X, Y, or Z. I don't know. I felt like I was living a double life in some way. That is so cool. And how did you become the sports director? Was it like, we're going to choose a name, the hat, we pick no eagle or is it your boss picks you or your classmates pick someone that's not counting them? Yes. Yeah, sports director is, it's a coveted position every year. And, and what happens is there are a number of juniors. So they select it midway through junior year. And what happens is there's an overlap between the new sports director and the current sports director, so to speak, so that the current sports director can pass down knowledge and it can be a smooth transition unlike certain other things that go on. Basically the process to get to that point is you apply for the job and then you interview for the job with the people at the station who are in charge of selecting the next person to do it. And so for us, I think we had three or four people who applied and I was fortunate enough after the interview process to be selected for the position. And what was important to me, like I had said earlier, was making sure it was a collaboration. I didn't want this to be I'm pretty sure the way I, I said, I don't want this to be a dictatorship. It needs to be a democracy. And so that's the mentality we had with it was everybody's voice is heard. Everybody's voice matters. And I don't, I'm not going to make decisions just because I feel one way or, or the other. If I feel one way, but everybody else feels another, then we're going to do it that way. And so I thought that we did a really good job with that. And it all varies class to class. You know, it's all about the dynamic of that class and that group do they have that ability to do it together? Do they have that ability to include the younger classes as well, the freshmen, the sophomores, and the juniors? All factors are different for all sports directors, and you get one per year. So every year, uh, the sports department is run a little bit differently, but from the outside, the product remains mostly the same. Were there? I'm sure there were tons of people who went who applied for that in your class. I think, I think it was about, so I think a lot of them were considering it. And then eventually it was about three or four of us. I can't remember if it was three or four, but that was the total number that decided at the end, okay, you know what? I, I'd like to at least throw my name in the hat. It varies class to class. Like I think there have been some in the past where they have six or seven applicants. And then there are some where they have two applicants. 
So it's really based on, again, the character and the numbers of the class, because sometimes you get a class that only has three kids left by the time they're seniors and only one of them wants to do it. Or sometimes none of them want to do it. And then you get, there have been times in the past where people have gone that job and done that job two years in a row. So it's all based on timing, luck, all that stuff. And so for me, I just was fortunate that they trusted me to do it. And I thought that we left our mark as a class. During the summer at Syracuse, when you weren't taking classes or on the radio or calling games for Syracuse, were you involved with any internships? Yes. So going into my junior year, I answered at Bleacher Report in New York and it was a great experience. It taught me a different side of the business. I was part of a team that did a branded content. So mostly animation and putting videos together and by videos, I mean legitimate entertainment level videos that had sports as part of it. And then they would sell that to partners and advertisers. And so being a part of that was cool. It just gave me a whole different perspective on this side of the business. They had me do some voiceover work for them, which was fun. I actually learned how to do a very basic level of animation as part of my project. And the cool thing, and this is the advice that when people call me or ask me like, hey, what should I be looking for in an internship? I always say any internship that you're going to get, any internship that's available to you do, it's all about what you're willing to make of it. Can you make the most out of it? And I didn't realize that about my internship until I was about halfway through. And I just kept thinking, man, I'm, I'm mostly just sitting here and doing small manual tasks. And then I realized it hit me like, oh, wait, it's up to me to actually go out and make something of my experience here. And so I, I set up meetings with a bunch of people there just to meet more people. And the eventual project I did, I mentioned, was a, a basic form of animation. So I said, okay, I know what I want to do when I, I'm done at school, when I'm finished, is I want to be a broadcaster on camera or on the radio or something of that nature. So how do I, we had to do these internship presentations at the end of the, at the end of the summer. And I said, I'm going to show what I feel like I do best. And so I asked people that I had met there, hey, can you help me? I want to get in the studio you have. Behind me, there's a Bleach Report logo and I'll put stuff in the prompter and I want to do a full stand-up wrapping around this animation that I created. Instead of presenting my project, I'm just going to be able to click and show it. And I feel like it'll show off a lot of the things that make me me, humor, uh, impressions that I did, all the little stuff that I did for all those West Essex people listening out there, Mr. West Essex, when I hosted that my senior year. Um, so I think that what ended up happening with that was I put it on YouTube and my dad sent it to like a few people. And then it just started getting passed around more and more and more. And off of that video, it helped me get some stuff later on going into my senior year of college. Just that video alone, people were impressed enough with some of the stuff that I showed. And I'm not naive. I think my name helped as well, knowing that my dad is who he is and I have the lineage, quote unquote. Um, but that video helped to prove like, okay, it's not just that he's blah, blah, son. He's also got his own little thing going. And so that was a somewhat of a springboard forward. And look, I, the only reason I did it was one, it got recommended to me by Adam Lefko at Bleach Report. He said, you know, you should do this. And I was like, I didn't even think of that, but you're totally right. And so I said, yeah, it's going to set me apart a little bit more. And I felt like it did that. And so it's just funny because you never know how things are going to work out like that. But it really did. It was really the perfect storm and, uh, and how it all came together in the last moments. Do you still stay in contact with anyone from Bleacher Report? Yeah, so I, I, I'll see them sometimes out and about, especially now with the Clippers. So I was at All-Star Weekend. That was actually through Turner, but... Um, so I saw Adam Lefko and I'll get to catch up with him. I'll text him from time to time um, and some other people around that office. And when I went to summer league the first year, so that was not last summer, but two summers ago, Bleacher Report was there. And so I saw a bunch of the people I worked with and got to catch up with them. So anytime I see them out and about, it's always fun. You mentioned you're at the all-star game. What was that like? What did you, were you just a fan? Were you working? Did you interview anyone there? I was working, so, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I was, I actually went as a fan when I was in New York and I had always, that was like a dream of mine because I love the NBA. 
And so I, I always wanted to go and it was in New York. So we made it happen. And I went to Saturday night and Sunday, both deals. Saturday was in Brooklyn. Sunday was at Madison Square Garden and being close to the city as we are, I was like, I got to do it. So I went as a fan back then. And then this year I was asked to do virtual reality broadcast for Turner. And I had done one, basically they had me almost do a, an audition broadcast. It was real, like they hired me to do it, but it was an audition now for the All-Star Weekend because they were going to need someone to do that. And so what ended up happening was I flew, I was in the middle of a road trip for the Clippers, but we had two days separating our games. And in that period was the game that they were asking me to do. So I cleared it with my Clippers bosses. Like, are you okay with me leaving and coming back? They said, yeah. So I flew, we had a game in New Orleans. From New Orleans, I flew with the team to Dallas. I then left Dallas early the next morning to get to Boston, stayed that night in Boston. The next day I did the game. It was the Celtics and Lakers in Boston. And so I do that game as like the audition, so to speak, fly back to Dallas. The next day we play the Mavericks. Then we flew to Atlanta and the next day played the Hawks. So it was a, it was a world. And then we flew to Miami, had at least one day in between played the heat and then Orlando. So it was a full whirlwind of a trip and all over the place, ping ponging around the East coast area. And I think I, I did well enough clearly in that game that they felt confident bringing me on for all-star weekend. And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. So we flew to Chicago. This was, and this was again, just to kind of give you the sense of my travels leading into Chicago for all-star weekend, we had had four games straight on the road. So we were in Minneapolis, and then we went from Minneapolis to Cleveland, Cleveland to Philly, Philly to Boston, and then I went Boston to Chicago, and I was there for about three or four days. So it was just, it was a, <laughs> I enjoy that. That's part of the job I really like is being able to go all around and see a bunch of the country and be in these awesome cities. And we had barely gotten to be in Chicago for the Clippers this year based on the scheduling. And so I love Chicago. It's one of my favorite cities in America. And so to be there for an extra few days was definitely just icing on the cake. But All-Star Weekend itself was, uh, this year especially, was awesome. I got to do all three events. On Friday, we did the Rising Stars. On Saturday, we did the dunk contest, three-point contest, skills challenge, all of it. And then Sunday, we did what I think is one of the best All-Star games in the history of the league. This year, they included the Elam ending, and it really made a huge difference in the intensity of the game. And so to be there and do all that was really cool. And then I did get to interview after the All-Star game, Kawhi Leonard won MVP. And so being a Clippers employee, they didn't have anybody else there. And they realized this at halftime. And so my producer, one of our producers over with the Clippers, texted me because she was there. And she said, hey, Kawhi might win MVP because he was leading scorer at halftime. And we're like, oh, yeah, he might win MVP. And she said, if he does, we're going to need you to interview him. Can you do that? I said, yeah, I mean, I'm working for somebody else right now. But once I'm done, I can run over. She said, okay, hurry. So I said, all right. And I was doing it with, with Rip Hamilton, former Pistons, great three-time all-star in the league and great dude. And his kids, his whole family was there. But his kids especially were there. And his kids are like, at the time, let's say 12, 8, and 6. And so – they had brought the NBA brought over TikTokers, Addison Ray and the D'Amelios and all of them were there for All-Star Weekend. And Rip's kids were all in on TikTok. And so we're going down to the court to do this final stand-up and finish up, wrap up the game. And I'm realizing like the clock's ticking. I gotta get to Kawhi because he's not gonna wait for me. It's Kawhi Leonard. Like he's not, he's not gonna they're not gonna say, hey, Noah's coming. He's gonna go, oh yeah, okay. Uh, I can wait here for five minutes. Like, no. He's got more important things to do. So we get down to the court and we're about to do this stand up and Rip's kids run up. They go, dad, we got to get a picture of the TikTokers. And I'm like, no, 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 we, I need to go. I need to finish this and go to, to interview Kawhi Leonard. And they're like, and Rip's like, oh yeah, yeah no problem. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. So Addison Ray and the D'Amelio's nearly ruined my experience of getting in time for Kawhi Leonard. We, long story short, we get through the, the stand-up. My phone's blowing up. You got to get here. I'm, I ran. And right as I get there, Kawhi gets up from his full media area and comes to the back area where I'm about to do the interview. And I hadn't even thought about what I'm going to say, what I'm going to ask, any of that stuff. I just figured, all right, whatever, we'll figure it out. And so I stand there. And Kawhi's like, Kawhi luckily knows me from the season, 
he's seen me around. So he was at least comfortable enough around me. And he walks in there and they say, go. And I was like, oh, oh okay. And, and we just went and did it. Um, and that was it, which is probably better that I didn't have to overthink what I was going to ask him. I just went with what came to mind and went from there. But it ended up being a really good interview. But yeah, Addison Ray and company almost completely ruined that. They almost completely got in my way of getting to my interview in time. But fortunately, it all worked out. What's Kawhi like being getting interviewed? So because like he I mean, he's a fun guy, as he claims. Yeah, he is a fun guy, though. And I think the people and his teammates, especially who get to see him in that setting, away from the public eye, really get that experience. He's got a good sense of humor, dry, sarcastic, and he's got a good group with him. And uh, when he's comfortable, I think that's that's exactly what you get. Guys love playing with him. That's the real sentiment that I feel like everywhere he's gone. Sure, he's a little different. Yeah, but there are a lot of guys that are a little different. And I think what Kawhi brings is uh, a good sense of humor. He's just an easy guy to be around. And guys appreciate all the work that he puts in constantly to get himself better, even being one of the best players in the world. So all of that combined, I think guys really like playing with him. You could see that and you could definitely feel that through a lot of uh, the ways that they came to work every day and ask anybody who played with the Raptors. They loved him. They would have loved to have him back, obviously, for more reasons than just him on the court. I think that they truly had a great bond with him off the court. Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet and Serge Ibaka and all of it. Um, so all that's real. Like the fun guy stuff, I know it's become a joke, but it's very, very real. And in terms of interviewing him, what helped me is my mentality getting to the Clippers was, okay, I'm not going to force any sort of relationships on any of these guys. I'm just going to be seen, but not heard. And so I was around a lot and they saw me that I was cool with doc and doc was cool with me. And I was cool with other, all of our assistant coaches. And I was cool with our broadcasters like Chauncey Billups. And I was cool with Lawrence Frank and all those other people they see, Oh yeah, they're, they're talking with him. And the other thing that ends up helping me was I got to do these one-on-one interviews with a lot of our players after some of our home games for fans at Staples center. And so then they became comfortable with me because they recognized me from that. So I just let those things happen organically and so once Kawhi realized I was cool with the assistants, I was cool with his strength coach who lives in my apartment building. I was cool with his other friends and his security guard who sits by me on the plane. He's like, oh, yeah, OK, he, this guy's not he's not going to screw me, basically. And I think that's the biggest thing that you any athlete's going to be worried. Like, are they going to put me in a bad position? And if they know that you're not going to put them in a bad position, then you've got nothing to worry about. And you do the Kawhi laugh? <laughs> no. I can't do the Kawhi I can't laugh. do it either. I'm, uh, I'm going to refrain from that. Can, are you asking, do I have the ability? I might have the ability, but I can't do I it. I mean, no. I have the ability. It's okay. Like, have you ever heard him do it in person? I've heard him laugh. I mean, I think that that was just a strange moment. Like, I think his laugh is a little more normal than that. But yeah, it's just, he's got such a deep, dulcet voice. Like, that's his tone. So yes, I, I, I've heard it, but not to that level of, the fun guy, OG, if that's what you're asking. So you mentioned that TikTokers almost ruined your interview with Kawhi Leonard. What's Addison Ray like? Did you talk to her? Like, I, no, I, I didn't. I was too laser focused on getting my. I, I was already into TikTok a decent amount. I, I like. I, I watch TikToks. I don't post anything on there, but I like it. It, it keeps me entertained, especially during the the pandemic. But I'd already started watching them, and so. I was aware of who these people were, but I, I don't know. I don't get the infatuation with them. I feel like it's very Kardashian-esque where Agreed. it just kind of came out of nowhere. So I didn't go over with them. I stayed in my spot. I was staying exactly where I was supposed to be. So I made sure that that shot did not have to get reframed and we didn't have to waste a single second more than we had to. Um, and by the way, like Rip is amazing and Rip's kids are awesome. I'm not even blaming them in the slightest for any of that, because if I was their age, I would have done the exact same thing. I love those kids. They cracked me up the entire weekend. So I have nothing bad to say about them. It was just almost a funny experience of how that all happened, how it all came together. And it's just <laughs> life works out the way it's supposed to, because I made it there just in time. Do you still keep in contact with Rip? I'll text him from time to time. He actually moved out here recently. So um, that's been great. And he's super close with Chauncey, who I became close with because he was one of our 
broadcasters last year. And now he's one of our assistant coaches. So it's again, full circle, how life works. That it definitely is a full circle, how life works. While you're at the all-star game, did you meet anyone like <laughs> any celebrities that were there? Like what's it like going up to like, maybe like seeing Jay-Z on the court and you're trying to be laser focused and you can't say hi to Jay-Z. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess I've, I've never been someone who's starstruck. I just, it's never really gotten to me. The one person, no, I, there's really nobody that I feel like has ever gotten to that point. And so, yeah, it's always cool because it happens at Staples Center too for our home games sometimes. Like there are a ton of guys that I see. Chance the Rapper was at one of our games and Snoop Dogg and uh, YG. Like, I don't know, name Adam Sandler. They're all coming to our games. And so I guess that's just, I'm used to having to compartmentalize everything and say, oh yeah, it's cool that they're here. And then going back to, okay, what do I have to know for today? What's Kawhi Leonard averaging per game? What And getting ready for that, more importantly. I think that's also probably my problem in terms of social media is like, everyone's like, oh, you should post more of you doing X, Y, or Z. And I'm always saying, I never, in the moment, I'm always thinking, okay, how can I do a really good job? What extra stats can I get in last minute? I'm never thinking, how can I pose this photo or video to make all my followers enjoy it? I probably should be. I probably need to do a better job of it. But right now, I'm much more worried about doing a good job in the actual thing I've been hired to do than the secondary aspect of said job. So I think it just kind of plays the same factor, same role. So you graduated from Syracuse. How did you get the job of the Clippers radio announcer? Was there like a on the website job applications or through your bleach report internships or any other ones you've done in the uh, past? Yeah. So basically what happened, it's an interesting story and it's a good reminder to always make sure you're just doing the right thing and, and doing right by people and keeping good relationships because you never know who might be able to help you. And so what happened was my senior year, I'd had this mentality all year. Of, you know what? I'm not going to worry about, jobs or the next step until later until let's say April or so of my senior year I'm not going to stretch too much about it because if I stress too much about it I'm not going to actually enjoy my last year in college and it was important to me to actually enjoy it and be a college student while I still had that time and that's something I tell everybody who's going into this or whatever no matter what if you're going into something that's very time consuming and keeps you very busy in college don't forget that you're still a college student because that time you don't get it back. It goes by like that. And so for me, that was always in my mind of, I wanna make sure I'm enjoying myself, especially my senior year. And so what happened, Sam, was I was doing that and I felt like I was doing it very well. And about February, let's say, probably early February, maybe even January, I got an email from my professor, one of my professors who was in charge, her name's Olivia Stomsky, She's in charge of the sports media center at Syracuse now. And so she has a ton of connections. She's still pretty active in the industry, producer, director, et cetera, behind the scenes and does a lot of work out in the West coast. And so she reached out to me and said, Hey, um, somebody reached out and asked for um, your basketball reel. I said, okay, can you be more specific? She said, just send me your best basketball stuff. I said, okay. Can I send it to you by the end of the week? She said, yeah, no problem. So I was like, can you tell me more about who this is for? She goes, I don't want to tell you who it's for. I was like, okay. So it was a mysterious opportunity. And so I took the week to put together a reel of my best basketball work and sent it over to her. And a few weeks go by here, nothing. She then reaches out to me in February, like late February now and says, Hey, um, can you send me a, a resume and a bio? I said, okay, did that. About another month goes by, I hear nothing. We're at the NCAA tournament in Salt Lake City. Syracuse loses in the first round to Baylor. And we had to stay the rest of the weekend because we had to book just in case they had won. So we were in Salt Lake City and we doing all this stuff. And I'm thinking, man, like this is the end of my Syracuse broadcasting career for the most part here. And so I fly back to Syracuse across the country and about a week or two later, because this is March Madness, I would say it was about the first week of April or so. 
I'm driving to do a radio show that I've been doing every Monday night. And I get a call on my car, lights up, number I don't have from Los Angeles. And I'm thinking like, ah, beginning a lot of solicitor calls lately. Do I really want to pick this up? But it was Los Angeles and I hadn't gotten that before. So I said, yeah, I want to pick this up. Pick it up. I say, hello. And I hear this voice on the other end. Hello. I'm like, yes. Go, is this Noah? I said, yeah. Goes, this is Nick Davis from Fox Sports West Prime Ticket. And as I'm sure you're aware, we are looking to replace Ralph Lawler with the Clippers broadcast next year. I swear, like at this point, I'm blacking out. I'm like, mm, what? I said, oh, okay. He goes, and we're looking to uh, fly you out to LA to have you interview and audition for the job. This is the TV job for the Clippers. And I'm like, really? He said, oh, really? He's like, yes, yeah, no, for real. I said, okay, great. And so my agent reaches out and they set up the time. I fly across the country a few weeks later, about two weeks later or so, and interview and audition. And my timing ended up being really good because I got there and the night that I got there, I had the interview the next day and the audition the next day. The night that I got there, happened to be game five of the first round in 2019 between the Clippers and the Golden State Warriors. The Clippers controlled the whole game and they forced a game six. And so now I'm going into this interview. At first I thought, man, I'm going to go in and they're just going to have their season was going to be over and they're going to all be disappointed. Now, instead I'm going into this interview and I'm playing with house money at this point because they just won this game. They weren't supposed to win. And you could tell that their spirits were very high. And so I already thought, no matter what, that's a, that's a good start. That's a good jumping point. And my mentality through the whole process was, no matter what happens, this is an unbelievable experience. And I'm going to be able to take what I learned in this experience and apply it to future experiences and future interviews, even if I don't get this position. And of course, I wanted it. Why wouldn't I want it? Um, so I, I get there, I interview with a number of people with the team and another number of people with the, the, the TV channel, Fox Sports West Prime Ticket all in one office. And then I walk over to the building and I do an audition with Corey Maggette. And so Corey and I do one quarter of a game that they had played this year. They told me about a day or two before which game it was going to be. So I wouldn't go back and watch the whole thing, which I did not. I think a lot of people think, oh, well, if they're going to tell me, then I can go look and, and see what it's like. And I, my mentality is, why would you do that? Then you're just, you're faking it almost one. It's not going to appear genuine coming out and that's going to hurt you more than it would help you. And so that was my mentality. So I went in pretty much clean. I just prepared for the game and did all my notes, et cetera, and felt like I did well. I felt like everything went well and I'm still in college. So I had to take a red eye back to Syracuse to get back for finals or whatever else and thought, great. Okay. We'll see where this goes. Get back to Syracuse and my agent reaches out saying, Hey, Steve Ballmer wants to meet you, who's the owner of the Clippers. And I said, oh, okay. He said, I said, where? He said, Seattle. <laughs> so I go, okay, great. Going to rack up those uh, frequent flyer miles. Salt Lake City to Syracuse, LA and Syracuse, now Seattle and Syracuse. I was set. So I was like, great. So I fly out to Seattle and I just got ready. Same deal. I showed up. He invited me in. We talked for an hour and a half. It was a really, really good conversation back and forth. More a conversation than an interview. He asked me about me and certain things, but he also asked me about my opinions on a lot of things. Like he wanted to know what I had to say and genuinely was interested in my answers, my responses to certain things within the broadcasting world. And so I thought that was really cool. And the thing that stands out about Steve is he's always the smartest person in the room, but you would never know. Like, he doesn't act that way. He lets everybody do what they're supposed to do. He trusts other people very, very much. He's extremely loyal. So you could see all of that in the 90 minutes that we talked. And we got up and we walked out. He walked me out and I looked at him. I said, Mr. Bomber? He said, yeah. I said, if you give me the job, the Clippers will be my life. And he said, okay. And then he pressed the button and an elevator opened and there are no buttons in the elevator. And I just went down in that elevator and I left. And I took another red eye back to Syracuse and made it back in time for whatever else I had going on. 
And yeah, I wrote some thank you notes to everybody who took the time and waited for my fate. So a couple more weeks go by, I graduate Syracuse. And the day after graduation, I flew to Chicago for some NBA related events that I was doing. Um, G League Elite Camp and the draft lottery and some other stuff. And I flew back to Syracuse, take a day or two, move out all my stuff, drive home officially, done with college, moved out. And I think the second night I was home, getting ready for dinner, and I get a call from a Los Angeles number. And this time it's from our the Clippers team president, Gillian Zucker. And she was really the main person who interviewed me with the team. And she called me saying, hey, just want to let you know that we're going to go a different direction on the TV side, but it's going to open up our radio position. And we would love for you to take that job. And I was like, oh, thinking in my head, yeah, of course. She said, so take the weekend and let me know. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, play, I played it cool. Don't worry. I, I thought I really felt like I played it cool. But in my head, I was like, yeah, I can tell you right now. Uh, but I called her back on Sunday, took the job, and here I am. That is a fantastic story. You didn't even know you were applying for the job. No, I didn't. So but you're- and by the way, it comes out, I was not the only person that she had sent some stuff in. The other, you know, there were other people that she had recommended. What ended up happening was Steve, our owner, he's so thorough in how he goes about everything. He wanted to cover all his bases in this search. So he wanted someone with a lot of experience. He wanted somebody who was fresh, somebody who was young. He wanted somebody who has been around the organization, stuff like that. So he got a wide variety. And with that young thing, he the, the people that he tasked with going out and getting candidates just happened to know Professor Stomsky. They reached out to her and said, anybody that is on your radar. And I just was lucky enough to be one of those people. You are very lucky. Your yes. first year, Kawhi Leonard comes to Clippers. Paul George comes to Clippers in a matter of 24 hours. What's your personal reaction? Or are you like, oh my gosh, we just got Kawhi and PG-13? Because my reaction was, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was actually in, it's actually in Michigan. I was, uh, I was traveling with some friends. And, and one of my friends, he was a Raptor fan. He's from Toronto. He's like, oh my God, we just lost Kawhi. We, and yeah. he's like depressed the whole morning. He's like, we're, we're still a champs. We're still a champs. Like he, he knew what he thought it was coming, but he's like to the Clippers. He's, he was shocked. He was like, he's like, Sam, I'm telling you, it's going to the Lakers. He's going to the Lakers. I was like, you know, I, I was, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers are in there. And then I hear he goes to, goes to the, and I hear Paul George. I was like, that's fake news. That That's fake news. How shocked were you to hear both of those names? Or did you have like, yeah, we're getting Kawhi Leonard. No. So at that, that time, I had known that I had already gotten that job. I knew this is what I was going to be doing. I knew I was going to be connected to this organization, but it wasn't public yet. And they had asked me, hey, till we make it public, just make sure that you can tell you know people you're close with, but keep it to yourself for the most part. And so I, I couldn't really publicly celebrate or do anything. And I was in Vegas at the time because I was there for NBA Summer League. I had just gotten done calling the Zion Williamson game in which there was an earthquake and the game ended up getting canceled in like the third quarter because of this big earthquake in all of the, really the West coast Vegas got hit and LA got hit. And I remember thinking like, Oh, it's an earthquake. And then another earthquake that was caused by Woj this time because the Kawhi and PG news came out. But I just remember these feelings, butterflies in my stomach as I'm sitting, I was preparing for my next day of games at summer league and I get these alerts and I'm like, Oh my goodness, this can't be real. Like not only do I get this dream opportunity, but now we're going to be one of the favorites moving forward. It was, it was unbelievable. It was just this, this incredible euphoria that I don't know how you can really match. It was just unbelievable in that moment of that realization of, Oh, I'm in the perfect situation right now. And I'm going to be getting so many highlights. It's just going to be, we're going to win a lot of games and we're going to do this and that. So yeah, the, the excitement and the buildup to the season, it was fantastic. Fantastic. Something I'll never forget. Now, what's summer league like? I personally have always been fascinated with summer league. I've always wanted to go, but I just haven't had the opportunity to. One day I hope to go. As a fan to just watch, just watch basketball. So I'm a big basketball fan myself. What's the, it's like people call it the 
the preseason or the spring training of basketball. Would you agree with that? No, not at all. Uh, summer league is, <laughs> it's really cool. I love the event and it's, it's great because all the players end up showing up in Vegas and we'll see how, how it goes, you know, with COVID and everything in the future, how they're going to deal with that. And hopefully by the, the time summer league's ready again, won't have to deal with it. Um, but that's wishful thinking in the moment. Yes. Keep the fingers crossed, Sam, but Summer League's great because it gives all these people, especially if you're a college basketball fan and an NBA fan, it's perfect because you see all these great college players trying to do everything to make the name for themselves. And I think the thing that really resonates with me every time I go to Summer League is this is these guys' livelihoods on the line. They are playing for their lives. Same deal with the G League, and I've done some events in the G League, and it's the same thing. Like They will do whatever it takes, at least the vast majority of them, to get to where they want to get to. And you can feel that intensity at Summer League every single game. You know there's going to be at least one person out on the court that will do whatever they have to do to put themselves in the best position to make a roster. And so I think the better analogy, more so than spring training, is like that's the JV and then the NBA is the varsity. So you're getting all the same schemes. You're getting all of the same play runs. You're getting all the the same looks defensively. And you're seeing these guys have to adjust to a new speed of the game. You're seeing these guys have to adjust to a new level of game. And to see that on the fly and see that learning curve is really cool, especially for young guys who are expected to be great players and see that type of pressure for the first time. How do they deal with that? With a lot of people watching on TV, they know that people are expecting them to go out and perform. So that's always cool. And yeah, the JV versus varsity thing, I think, is the one that stands out. Like, these are the guys who are going to do whatever it takes to get that next level. And you know that there are people in high school, let's say, who are maybe a sophomore on JV, but then get a look at varsity because of all of what they've done at that JV level. So I'd say that's the, that's the description I'd use for it. Now, your Tom the Clippers sound amazing your first season, but unfortunately for the NBA, COVID-19 happened and then the bubble yeah. happened. Did you go into the bubble yourself? I did not. No, I, I called all the games from a studio in Los Angeles. Now, unfortunately, the Clippers lost. And what was your personal feeling? I, I mean, I was shocked. <laughs> I had them going. I had them going to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I, I think we were all looking forward to the Clippers Lakers potential matchup in the the Conference Finals and. Uh, yeah, I think disappointment for sure, um, just based on what we knew this team was capable of, especially going into the hiatus, based on what the team was doing. They'd won, I think, nine of ten games, something in that realm, and they were beating up on good teams. They beat Houston by 20-plus. They beat Oklahoma City by 20-plus. They beat Denver by 20-plus. They were beating all these teams handedly, and then they played a real close game. That was their only loss to the Lakers at home, but, like, that series was as close as any this year during the regular season. The Clippers win the first two by narrow margin. The Lakers win the last two by narrow margin. And that's why we wanted to see in the postseason. We wanted to see what that would look like in a best of seven, in a playoff intensity. And so we were looking forward to that. Um, and based on the way they were playing into the shutdown, we all felt confident. And what turns out is uh, this team, I think everybody showed who was built for the bubble. Like the Lakers and the Heat were built for the bubble. And I don't know if, if we were quite there. Um, and it's not necessarily an excuse. It's just more so a different circumstance and an unlucky circumstance for this team in particular, for a team that was playing so well and really gelling on the court. So we're excited for this year and some changes in the coaching staff. Potentially we'll see what happens with the roster, but I think it'll be mostly the same. But um, we're excited for the Teron Lou era. And his coaching staff with Kenny Atkinson and Chauncey Billups and Dan Craig and Larry Drew, like it's a really, really good staff. And you've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And if they can play that, the way that we know that they're capable of consistently, this team is still certainly one of the favorites in the NBA. Now, I agree with you 100%. Kenny Atkinson, one of my personal favorite coaches in this league or personnel, or whatever you want to personally call him. Because I personally think he's a he's, he deserves to have a head coach position, but for the Clippers to get him on his on their coaching staff, that's just huge because he's such a player's coach himself. 
Big time. And I think what was great when I heard that, obviously I'm a little biased because the Nets connection and my dad and Kenny had built a strong bond and I'd met Kenny in the past and he's been very nice to me. So when I heard that, I was super excited just for those reasons, but also for the development side of things. He's known as the best player development coach in the NBA. If not the best, he's certainly top three. I think he's the best. And just look at what he did for the Nets as an organization, developing the talent that they had. They had to develop their own guys that weren't even necessarily draft picks or they were guys that squeaked through in the draft or undervalued in the draft. And he developed them. Joe Harris is going to make a lot of money because of Kenny Atkinson. Brooke Lopez developed into a three-point shooter because of Kenny Atkinson. And so when I see all of that and I see some of the young guys and young talent we have on Clippers, Avica Zubats, who – this front office believes can be an all-star. And I, I'm with them. He's only 23 years old. He's not turning 24 until March. He's incredibly young, and he proved in the bubble, this dude is a legitimate starting center and has the potential, really the sky's the limit for him. Landry Shamit had a, he had an off sophomore season, but his rookie year, he was setting rookie record for three-point shooting in the NBA. And he has the ability to be a Joe Harris, J.J. Redick type of player long-term in this league and so if Kenny can unlock something in him you're looking at a completely new dynamic with this team it's a brand new weapon that they didn't quite have in this year's postseason run even some of those other guys like a Montrez Harrell or Jamichael Green you continue to develop some of those sharper finer skills and then they have some other young talent like Terrence Mann and Fiondu Cabangeli and Amir Coffey Kenny Atkinson is there to develop those guys he's yes he's there schematically as well and he's going to help T. Lou in a variety of ways, but he is there to help develop some of that young talent. And I think if they can develop further alongside of Kawhi and PG, it completely changes the complexion of how we look at the team. Agreed. Agreed. Now for the last bit, you mentioned that you covered tennis for Sirius XM. Did you cover any recent tennis matches yeah, so I, I'll do it really uh, for the Tennis Channel. And with them, I, I've been afforded the opportunity to do some really cool stuff. Uh, I first started, they actually offered me a position as somebody who would basically, anytime they could use me, they would. That was their whole mentality. And they're based out of LA. And so they had offered me this position before I even officially got a Clipper job. And so once that Clipper job came in, I reached back out to Tennis Channel. I was like, I'm all in. I'm moving out there. They said, even better. And so I started doing some stuff with them last year. And then the basketball season went through. And I didn't really have much time because I'm in the middle of the basketball season. And they knew that. And they know the priority, which I told the Clippers, is the Clippers. As I said to Steve Ballmer, the Clippers will be my life. I plan on keeping that promise. And so once the basketball season ended, actually, I should say before it even restarted, so we get this hiatus, the NBA is put on hold. We hear bubble's going to start July, end of July. And I said, great. So Tennis Channel reaches out to me, let's say end of May. And they said, hey, beginning of June, we have some time if you're available. I said, okay. And so I flew back to LA and I got a number of uh, exhibition events I did in June. I did a number of exhibition events in July and then went through my NBA season. And so they reached back out to me and they said, hey, we're going to Paris for the French Open. We know that the Clippers are your priority, but if they are eliminated by a certain round, can you come or will you have more obligations? I said, I can come if they fail to reach the conference finals. And so going in, this was, uh, I will be in Paris if they fail to reach the conference finals. And we're watching it closely. They're watching it closely. And sure enough, we lose in game seven of the second round. And so it was, I would have preferred the Clippers to keep winning, sure. But it was a, a, a solid consolation prize, so to speak, to be able to fly out of the country and leave all of that behind for a little bit, leave this behind for a little bit and feel like I'm doing what I normally do once again even for a short while. And so that experience was amazing. I'd always want to go to Roland Garros and to be there, even without the fan experience, even without the normalcy, it was awesome. I'd never been to Paris and it was just really cool to see that and be somewhere else. And so I got to do that. I came back here, obviously, and then I did another two weeks of events in a variety of places, but from Los Angeles. So 
Uh, I've been really fortunate. They've been really great to me. And I'm thankful that they've also believe in me to the point that they feel like they can keep using me in these situations. So I'm really thankful for them, thankful for everybody. And I'm thankful for life, Sam. This is, I'm a thankful person. What can I say? I like Thanksgiving. I'm- now, this, th- now, Noah, thank you for coming on today for today's episode of Prince of the Pod. We all really appreciate it. I really appreciate it most of all. And this is your host, Sam Prince. Again, before I close that, thank you. Thank you for listening today. And if you have not already, go follow Prince of the Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And hope you listen to more episodes in the future. This is your host, Sam Prince.